should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Meow Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Meow. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this uh, rainy Monday, I should say, here in San Francisco. Um, and it is Monday, March 7th. <laughs> I guess it's, uh, you know, it feels good to be back on the air, and I'm so sorry that we've taken some time to fully transition. As I had mentioned a couple weeks ago, Fong, our producer, has left us for um, the other side of the rainbow. I don't know. Hopefully she found a pot of gold somewhere. And so uh, we brought back Dennis Cruz, who's always been there with us. Well, that was reluctant on your side. Come on. <laughs> that was very reluctant. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> Love you. Thank you, Dennis, for being here you. with us. Uh, I know. I know. I've totally, well, we always talk about how we miss you here on the show. That's yeah, what well, the entire hour is. You're busy going to Hawaii is, and to <laughs> El Paso and you know, no big deal. I'm, I'm heading down to Coma next week. Oh, wonderful. Visit the relatives. Um, yes. Uh, good for you. I'm so excited for you. I'm hoping, <laughs> listen, on the wish list, Stockton maybe. Oh, you know, I'm going to Stockton um, well, I know. this weekend for my but, birthday. And uh, But thank you so much for taking time to have, you know, to, to train Kenny, who's going to be our new producer. Um, he's, he's training me now. That's how bright this guy is. <laughs> He's trained me. I appreciate it, and I and I kind of resented it in the same you know in the same sentence. Uh, yeah, he's so he's so smart. Yeah, so so welcome Kenny and uh, welcome to the show. Hopefully the rest of the week here we'll have shows for you as um, he starts to show off his new moves um, yeah. in learning how to produce this show. And and of course Dennis, you're always with us. I love you. Oh, I love you. Uh, so over the weekend, Nancy Reagan has passed away. Um, God bless her. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a big Reagan fan. I mean, f who cares what my opinion is, but I'm, I'm just saying I wasn't a big Reagan fan because he did a lot of, I, you know, I th think he did a lot of damage to, uh, to unions back in the day. I just remember the, the air traffic controller strike and, you know, but, uh, people consider him one of the best presidents of all time. Well, and, and, and you see it now, all the conservatives, yeah. it's like they're his, it, it's their idol. Right, right. Well, the LGBTQ community uh, uh, obviously um, remembers uh, Nancy, but not in the most fondest moments at the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, you know, the Reagans were very, very silent, ignored um, the, the epidemic. But but at the same time, it's like there is a story that has been floating around for years now in which documents show that Rock Hudson, who is, you know, a good friend of, of, of the Reagans, right. had uh, written to Nancy, you know, begging for help asking for for help um and attention to the hiv aids a, uh, aids situation or crisis um in which she didn't you know uh, either ignored or declined um, oh, to help them and so that's awful the Re Reagans that's are awful very i didn't know that story LGBTQ community. i know yeah it's it's shopping around i'm hoping somebody will actually dive into it and and write an entire book but there's an not article to, not to put her and, and ron down on you know i mean she uh, yeah, just passed away deathbed, yeah. but i mean thankfully 
their son's a more enlightened person. I, I love Ron Reagan. Yeah. 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 Well, our guest today, um, we're very lucky to have him, and he uh, is a former uh, Republican. Um, he's also gay and uh, an and activist, so it'll be very interesting to hear his point of view, just kind of um, where everything's at politically, especially with the Republican Party. Uh, he's got a new book out, No Hope, Why I Left the Republican Party, and You Should Too. And, uh, and I'm proud to say that he is a friend of ours here on the show. So let's welcome Jimmy LaSalvia to the program. Jimmy, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. It's been a while. I can't remember the last time, but I know it's been months and months since I've been on your show. Yeah, no, I think it's it's safe to say, uh, you know, over a year in which uh, I'm sorry for that, because uh, I enjoy talking to you a lot. Um, but, you know, I mentioned that you're a former Republican, Republican and uh, this year come out with a new book, a memoir, um, kind of talking about why you left the Republican Party. Let's let's uh, let's refresh everybody's memories, though. I mean, Jimmy, you were part of an organization called Go Proud, which was uh, a group of of gay Republicans, right? Right, and we were uh, first. Well, before that, I was part of Log Cabin Republicans. I I worked for over a decade as an openly gay conservative and Republican activist, and. Um, yeah, in 2009, my colleague and friend Chris Barron and I started Go Proud, which was an organization for gay conservatives and their allies. And we came about really at about the time of the rise of the Tea Party movement. And we were, unlike Log Cabin, we were basically the anti-establishment gay conservatives. We recognized at that time that the energy and excitement that was driving the Republican Party wasn't in the GOP establishment. It was in the grassroots anti-establishment wing of the party. And uh, that, that was the audience that, that we spoke to and that we were part of. And, and I think that we've certainly seen the evolution of that audience uh, happen and culminate in what we see today in the presidential race with the anti-establishment candidacies of Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, who are emerging as the, uh, the, the top two Mm -hmm. uh, as the, as the campaign is coming towards uh, an end. Well, we're going to get to Donald Trump and kind of how mm-hmm. uh, you had a hand in his campaign. <laughs> but, um, you know, pre-marriage equality, pre-federal marriage equality, a lot of LGBTQ <laughs> activists um, referred to uh, gay Republicans and conservatives as contradictions. A lot of people don't understand how you can be conservative and gay at the same time or, or affiliate yourself with a, a party line that is absolutely, uh, you know, discriminant against um, LGBTQ people. If you could explain to our, our, you know, listeners and kind of how it is actually possible and what your, your mindset was at that time, that would be awesome. Right. Well, I don't think that there's any contra- contradiction to anyone, no matter who you are, of having views that of limited government or even traditional values. I mean, I, I, I'm a pretty traditional person, and, uh, but I, I guess I never felt that uh, being a conservative meant living in the past. And uh, so, you know, all my life as a right of center, limited government, pro-defense, uh, uh, 
less government, basically, uh, advocate, I felt more at home in the Republican Party, despite uh, differences in cultural areas. Mm. Um, but then as, as the culture, our, our national culture has evolved, the, the party hasn't, and the conservative movement hasn't. They resist uh, being a part of our cultural evolution, and in fact, uh, seek to enact laws to stop it. And so there comes a point where I said to myself, I can't be a part of this anymore because I live in our new multicultural reality in America. And so even though I still hold views that are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm for low taxes and more free enterprise and free markets, um, but I, I don't fit in in the Republican Party anymore, mm-hmm. even though I once did. And I think it all came down to, for me and for a whole lot of other uh, former gay Republicans, is just realizing where we were at any, po- at any given point in cultural evolution. When I was at, in my height of gay Republican activism, you know, I recognized the cultural reality at, in America was that we weren't going to be able to get married anytime soon. And in fact, there's a whole lot of people who still don't even recognize that we don't choose to be gay. And so as long as that was the cultural reality, I could affiliate with them and work to change their minds and show them uh, that gay people are just like them. Mm-hmm. And that was really one of the things that we, we sought to do with Go Proud more than, more than anything is to be authentically conservative and, and show our views, but do it in a way to remove the us versus them narrative between gays and conservatives. Because mm-hmm. for so long, you know, the, um, the, the gays for black, the LGBT community, let me say, has, was part of the coalition of the left. So, so many conservatives saw our community as the political enemy. And so what we thought to do was to remove that us versus them mindset. And we're successful in, in, in a big way, I think. Um, but at the end of the day, ultimately not, because cultural evolution has passed them by. And uh, as, as we see in the, the tone and the reality that's the Republican Party today, there's still a large segment of them, and some people would argue a majority. I don't think it's a majority. I think it's a smaller segment, but a loud vocal segment, who just aren't comfortable with people who aren't like them. And, you know, they're, they're cool with everybody, regardless of what color your skin is or who you date, mm-hmm. as long as you conform culturally with them. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as, you know, culturally your perspective is, is that of a straight white Christian, <laughs> you know, you probably feel, you know, that they're cool with you. But if you start to express your cultural differences, whether they be because you're gay or because you're an immigrant or someone else, um, that's, they're uncomfortable with that. Oh. And, and that's ultimately why I chose to leave, because that, that, that's not recognizing the reality of the world we live in. 
Of course. Of course. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Jimmy LaSalvia, who has a new memoir out, No Hope, Why I Left the Republican Party, and you should too. He's a former Republican activist and uh, one of the co-founders of Go Proud. Um, you know, Jimmy, I, yeah, what? Uh, we've got three minutes here until we go on a break, and so I'll ask this question. What's been the response? I, mean, I guess both from those who are still gay conservatives. I can imagine that you still keep them in your circle, but also, I mean, you know, any responses from just pe- people in general? Well, I think when I left the Republican Party, I received a ton of feedback. And this was back uh, just about two years ago is when I publicly left the GOP. Lots of people reached out to me and said, you're right. And I don't blame you. And lots of straight, culturally modern uh, Republicans. There are a whole lot of fiscally conservative, culturally modern Republicans who are fed up with the party. And there were many people, some big names, who said, that I don't blame you. You're right. I'm thinking of leaving, too. And in fact, a lot of the gay Republicans I worked with over the years, I mean, from Patrick Guerrero, who was head of Log Cabin Republicans when I worked there, to people like me and to other activists that have left the party. Many are independent, like I am, or many have, some have become Democrats. So um, the heyday of the gay right, so to speak, is gone, is over, because the conservative movement and Republican Party ultimately just hasn't evolved with yeah. the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I have so, mu- so much more to ask you. Uh, and I definitely want to touch on Hillary Clinton. I want to touch on Donald Trump and how you may have had a hand in his campaign and possibly regret it. And I also, you know, definitely want to dive into the book and maybe some things that you had never shared publicly while being in the Republican Party. But let's do that. Uh, right after the break. So um, stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with former Republican Jimmy LaSalvia. Don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at facebook.com slash progressive voices. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale.com. 
G-R-E-C-A-R-E.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do. Especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. So, Jimmy, I mentioned uh, right before the break there that uh, you may have had a hand in um, Donald Trump's or at least kickstarting Donald Trump's presidential campaign or it had something to do with it. Explain to our listeners what uh, you actually did or how you were involved. Okay. Well, um, uh, not exactly, but a lot of people will remember, many of your listeners will remember that back in 2011, GoProud was involved in a big national controversy. We were sponsors of uh, the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC, and the anti-gay forces on the right were trying to get us kicked out and banned as sponsors because we were gay. And this story was raging in the press, and it was just about the time that Mr. Trump first made uh, a statement that he was thinking about challenging President Obama. back in 2011 or 2012 campaign. And so my colleague, Chris Barron, uh, who started GoProud with me, was able to reach out to him through a friend and invite him to speak at CPAC on our behalf, kind of as our way to uh, do something to make CPAC better, to show everybody that uh, we should be there and be sponsors. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, I wrote about that day in my book, No Hope, that your listeners can read, and some fun behind-the-scenes uh, dealings with him that day. But honestly, that, that's a great example of what I was talking about before, uh, about how the uh, conservative movement is uncomfortable with people who aren't like them. If you notice Mr. Trump's campaign, and first of all, it was wildly successful when we invited him to speak, and the crowd just loved it. And his campaign is very successful today because he is playing on those fears that many on the right have and that that they are uncomfortable with people who aren't like them. You know, it's we're going to deport all the Mexicans and ban all the Muslims and the gays can't get married anymore and then America will be great again. Mm -hmm. And so... uh, you know, he was a good fit for the conservative political action conference, and that's why we invited him. But, um, you know, like I said, that story is in the book, and um, there's actually lots of fun behind-the-scenes stories. <laughs> I, I uh, do want to read the whole entire thing. I haven't had yeah. a chance to do that before our interview. But, um, but I mean, you know, it wasn't, it, to me, it's not a shock that Donald Trump is this way. Uh, how many, you know, white conservative Christian dudes are there even in this country to be able to to win on a on a on a campaign like Donald Trump's. I, I mean you well, would have good insight. Yeah, it's a significant portion of the Republican electorate. And and they see America changing. It's not what they used to 
it's not what their experience used to be. And they're looking for people to blame it on. And in many cases, it's just that economically, things aren't good for anybody. And they're looking for people to blame, blame it on. And so we're going to blame it on the immigrants because they're taking jobs, even though that's not true. And we're going to blame it on uh, people who are different. And because it wasn't like this when I was a kid, you know, we were, we were uh, uh, a more homogenous society then. And, and so, honestly, Donald Trump, someone who's done business in Manhattan his entire career, I don't think, is someone who is personally, you know, in his real life, all that intolerant. I think what he's doing is, uh, making statements that play on the fears of that mm-hmm. audience for the votes. That's really what I think. Let's turn our attention on. to Hillary Clinton. You know, it's funny you posted this publicly on your social media that you had some news and you were afraid that people, you know, would be angry. And I totally thought <laughs> that you were going to come out and talk about how you're like sleeping with uh, some evangelical Christian leader like <laughs> Pat Robertson or something like that. But uh, the truth was you came out uh, in support of Hillary Clinton. Tell us, yep. um, well, well, one, uh, you know, what, what's been the responses and, and why? Why Hillary? Well, first of all, um, most people, uh, you know, I, the response has been mixed, let, let's just say. But uh, for, for one, uh, and let me just put this out there. I don't agree with Hillary Clinton on every single issue. I just don't. But this election really isn't about issues, and it's not about um, really policies. It's about two visions of America, one that includes everyone and one that doesn't. And Hillary Clinton's vision of America includes everyone. And when you think about what the job of the president is, the job of the president is to be the person who's in charge in the White House to deal with everything that we don't know about yet. What what is going to face our country tomorrow, we have absolutely no idea about. And so I decided that, one, she has an inclusive vision, and uh, two, she's most prepared to deal with the situations in the world and the situations that will come up in our country. And, and that's what makes me feel good about supporting her. And all the, the things that I want to do to help change our country and make it better, I will continue to do, whether I ag- agree with her or not. You know, the reality is that the people get to make the, the change in this country, and uh, the president uh, gets to implement a lot of it, but also just gets to be the ultimate decider uh, for all the things we don't know about yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm, I'm excited to support her. I'm joining with lots of other LGBT people and uh, other culturally modern Americans who uh, want a president whose country, whose vision of America includes everyone. Uh, it's funny you mentioned, you know, other LGBT activists who do support Hillary. Um, I was going to ask, now that you've uh, you left the Republican Party. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> what am I going to say? You're going to bring up Caitlyn Jenner. No, 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 no. Oh, Actually, oh, I thought you were. <laughs> no, you know, I mean, hey, we're all entitled to our own opinions and, uh, you know, whatever. I'll talk about Caitlyn some other time. Yeah, she's new. 
Yeah, yeah. I was just going to, yeah, because right now she's being ostracized by the community. And I'm sure you know what that feels like. And now that Uh you are in support of Hillary, you're playing for the quote unquote right team. um, (laughs) Has have you uh, gained new friends and followers? And I mean, you know, as far as like the LGBTQ community goes. Well, look, I have always been an outsider. You know, I was a gay Republican, so the Republicans certainly didn't trust my loyalty. And, you know, I can say that while I have gained a few new friends, a lot of people don't trust me and don't trust my loyalty based on my uh, past experiences. But, you know, I'm used to that. Like I said, I'm an outsider, and uh, outsiders aren't trusted by the uh, establishment. But fortunately, this election is about is the year of the outsiders and so I'm I'm very engaged in, in having a good time and and meeting new people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think I think I honestly think that many Americans think that our country is divided right now. We're not as divided as you think. Mm-hmm. And I I really see this as an election around unity uh, rather than division. And while there will be some who resist uniting with uh, their fellow Americans, it's going to turn out that they are a really small minority. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's why I know Hillary Clinton's going to be elected president. Uh, <laughs> you sound so strong in that. Uh, and uh, I want to I want to believe you as we wind down um, here on the program. Uh, let's talk about, you know, 2016 and just some uh, hot button items such as religious freedom bills. I mean, people, I mean, states are already looking at that and some states have passed some anti-gay legislation. Do you think that LGBT rights will continue to be a focus um, even as we we head into, you know, a new presidency? Absolutely. Well, on the state level, there's a lot of things that are concerning me. And that's why, while I've never focused on uh, having federal uh, solutions be our first choice because I think things are better done at the state level generally. I definitely think it should be a priority for all of us to use this election to focus the need for the Federal Equality Act to be passed by the next Congress and President because uh, all of this stuff that's happening on the state level uh, is is hurting LGBT people and will hurt LGBT people. And we, more than ever, we need that federal protection. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's why what I think should be the focus of our whole community this election cycle on the federal election so that we can get that uh, piece of legislation so that we can all be protected. So your House races, your Senate races, all of those things are important. And of course, it can't happen unless there's a president in office who supports it. Last question for you, Jimmy, and uh, I'm going to go back to reading your amazing, awesome book, No Hope, Why I Left the Republican Party, and you should too. Um, and you should go out and get the book if you don't have it. But the last question I have for you is, uh, you know, are you now a anti- an anti-Republican activist? Um, you know, I think I'm just... A, a normal person. I just, you know, I'm not a partisan at all. Uh, but I do think that this election is an opportunity for me to to tell people what my experience is and and why the Republican Party just isn't an option for them. Um, and my book, of course, is part of that. And 
by the way, your listeners may not agree with anything I have said or done or do politically, but I think they'll be entertained by the behind-the-scenes stories and, and some of the, the things that happened to me while I was a, a gay Republican activist uh, in politics with some famous people. You know, we mentioned Donald Trump. There's Ann Coulter, Reince Priebus, a whole bunch of famous people that uh, they'll be entertained to read about. But, um, yeah, I'm just spreading the word that uh, our our country includes everyone, and their party doesn't. Jimmy, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, again, go out and get his book if you haven't done so. It is uh, Jimmy LaSalvia and his memoir of Why You Left the Republican Party. Um, the actual title, I should say, is No Hope, Why I Left the Republican Party, and you should too. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll celebrate International Women's Day by replaying an interview we did with the director of Petals in the Dust. Don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Progressive Voices. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody. And that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Monday, March 7th. It feels really good to be back in the studio. It feels good to hang out with Dennis Cruz, who's our uh, main producer bro dude. <laughs> 
and uh, and and and, and what training did you call me our bro? main our main producer bro dude <laughs> <laughs> bro dude man that, it almost hurts and i know it's coming from a loving place i know we bro. joke around a lot about you oh, know you but, catch me down in the marina on a weekend you know <laughs> but broing you is probably not a good bro 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 <laughs> and uh, and then having um kenny my young nef- nephew here and and mentoring him and trying something new and different i think this is a great family thing we're oh, building I feel here. the love. I feel <laughs> I do. I feel the love. Um hopefully, you know, throughout the week we will continue to be producing brand new shows for you. So stick around for that. We are here. I'm here Monday through Friday, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network. We're gonna end the show with a replay of an interview that we've done before um in uh in celebration of International Women's Day. And it's an interview with Nina Pius Caputi, who is the director of Petals in the Dust, and it basically sheds light on the origins and the enormity of the war against Indian women. So take a listen, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow. All right, let's kick off our, the second half of our show celebrating the Third Eye Film Festival, which kicks off here in San Francisco in a couple days. Third Eye Film Festival is celebrating South Asian films. And so our next guest is the director and producer of Petals in the Dust, a powerful documentary examining the conditions of women who are becoming endangered due to the violence they face in modern India. So let's welcome Nina Kaputi to the program. Nina, welcome. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm excited to be on your show. Yes, I, I'm excited to address this topic in which I've been so extremely cautious to discuss because I know that there are, um, you know, uh, various things that come into play. Uh, the film touches on the root of misogyny, and you've done extensive research on this topic and, and have even coined the term gendercide. You know, why, let's, let's go, try to answer that. Why attack women? Um, what, what is the root of the issue here? You know, it's such a complex issue that despite spending seven years on the film and, you know, interviewing hundreds, of, not hundreds, a lot of activists and women who are survivors, I wasn't, no one was able to give me one, you know, this is the reason why it's happening. There are many different reasons. I mean, dowry has been in existence for years. And, uh, you know, even though it's illegal in India, it still happens. And, you know, you, the, even though women are educated and wealthy, come from educated and wealthy families, it doesn't matter. You know, they're still, it still is, I'm marrying your daughter. She could be a lawyer. She could be a software engineer. She could be earning more than me. But it's my right as a man to, you know, get dowry from the 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 woman's family. And, so for from so for many people they you know they they see oh you know once if I have a daughter I'm going to lose this much money when my you know when my daughter gets married and of course with you know people who are you know low income dowry uh, still exists and for them you know they, some of them go into debt forever so there's this whole I mean one is there's this obsession with you know getting your daughter married because if you don't get your daughter married your duty is not done and most people you know, feel they can only marry their daughters if they marry them to people from the same, you know, community or also accepting dowry. Of course, there are more women now standing up and saying, I will not marry someone who asked for dowry, you know. Uh, that's, uh, so, so dowry definitely is one of them. The other, you know, which um, was also interesting was India was, uh, you know, was an agricultural country and 
women played a you know a vital role in farming but as mechanization came in the women found you know women roles uh, were then relegated to the, the kitchen and running the house and they were then they, they were seen as a burden because they were no longer in involved in you know um, growing the crops and that too seems to have you know uh, affected the status of women in india so these were some of you know the issues and it's happening across religions of, across uh you know uh, educate you know educated the low income it doesn't matter about you know where the, what the status of uh the families in terms of caste in terms of property and wealth so it it, it as i said it's so complex that there are all these different factors that are leading to uh you know seeing woman a woman as less equal to a man which is leading to you know parents killing their daughters or then later in life you know uh, you know last week there were these horrific rapes of three toddlers you know a 2 year old a 4 year old and a 5 five year old that were brutally gang gang raped in india and in the capital and you know some if one's own parents sees you as a burden and wants to discard you uh you know obviously the attitude of other men to girls and women you know will be really low because you know there's so little value placed on girls and what also bothers me is the kind of violence that is you know uh, when we had the rape a couple of years ago in delhi not only was she brutally gang raped but they violated her with an iron rod they threw her out uh, you know and tried to run run over her so you can see the violence that is associated with with you know sexual acts as well. i mean sexual acts are violence but there's additional violence inflicted on the woman i i think uh, as people in the west have read about like some of the, those cases that have gotten a lot of attention and those most recent uh, rapes of the children in in, in delhi um, aren't aware actually of just the staggering numbers that are involved, and, and your film gets into some of this. For example, um, more women have been killed in the last twenty years than uh, Jews were killed in the Holocaust. I mean, t- talk a bit about the. I mean, the scale of this that that's involved. Sure, and you know, I just also wanted before I go delve too much is you know, I what I found was you know when I started doing the film was gender violence is universal and. Every country does have different forms of gender. It just manifests itself in, you know, different ways. And, uh, you know, the U.S. actually has, um, you know, high, the number of rapes happening in the U.S. is more than the number of rapes happening in India for women less than 18. So, you know, there's different forms. But what shocked me about, the, you know, the violence and uh, the gender side in India is that parents are resorting to it. You know, parents are, are killing their own daughters because... They, they, you know, put, uh, they see them as a burden, and and uh, so, so, so I grew up. I was really lucky. I grew up in a family where my father actually wanted four daughters, so he was they weren't able to have me and my brother. So I grew up feeling very, uh, you know, special. And you know, my dad and my mom didn't discriminate between me and my brother. You know, I was in fact my dad was so keen on me getting into technology. I mean, now there's so much focus on women in tech. In those days, there wasn't, but yet my dad wanted me to be an engineer. I didn't, but it just showed that, you know. So a lot of us grew up in this little bubble and were not aware of what was going on around us. It was only 12 years ago when I visited an orphanage in India where, you know, they were telling me infanticide is happening. There are very few girls available for adoption, uh, you know, and uh, when I went home and, you know, I more than the, you know, I saw that, I read that there were 50 million girls that were eliminated in the last century, which is really 
I mean, it's it's mind-boggling, and, you know, I wasn't even aware of it, and I spoke to some of my contemporaries, and they weren't aware of it either. And, uh, you know, then, so infanticide has played a huge role, and, uh, you know, then there have been, you know, there are a lot of dowry deaths as well, so when a woman is not able to provide enough dowry, uh, her husband or sometimes husband and the in-laws set her on fire and kill her, and the reason they do that is so then the man can remarry this. Again, as I mentioned, there's so much pressure on families to marry their daughters. So even though they might know the man is guilty of you know, possibly killing his wife for dowry, they're still so desperate to marry their daughter, they will marry. So the dowry deaths have also, you know, resulted in this, uh, you know, number of girls missing in India. So it's it's infanticide, it's dowry deaths. You know, with many of the cases of rape, after they rape the girl, they, they murder her. So rape has also, and then of course we have domestic violence, which again is, you know, very little is said about domestic violence in India. You know, you grew up in India, and things might be changing now, but it's usually whatever happens in the family stays in the family. People don't speak out about what, you know, kind of violence they're facing in their own family. So all this has led to these staggering numbers. and. Uh, you know, in 20 years' time, they say there will be 20% more men in than women in India. Already we're feeling the effects of this gender imbalance in in the North, where there are fewer women than men. Uh, so men are, so women are actually being trafficked as brides from, you know, the poorer states in India, from other, from, from Bangladesh and Nepal, our neighboring countries. And uh, what happens, they're not just sold to, to one man, they're sold to all the men in the family. And sometimes once the woman gives birth to that son, then she's sold to another family where they need a bride. And some of those girls are, are really young, as young as 12 and 13. Michelle Miao and John Zipper and our guest today is Nina uh, Caputi, who's got a new powerful documentary out, Petals in the Dust, um, which examines the conditions of women who are becoming endangered due to the violence they face in modern India. John, you had a great question. Well, I was... I was- I really caught what you were talking about, about your father, you know, wanting daughters. Um, and it reminded me of a friend of mine, uh, an Indian American woman, uh, you know, bright law school student and her, her telling her father, telling her, you know, you will not marry someone who is not going to respect you. And, and you know, you have to ha- really, you know, it, it, it's very important to him that, that she be herself and, and really controls her own life. Um, where would you say, I mean, can you say, where the most important place is to start to really get some traction on changing this is it is is there a way, I mean, a way that parents are are playing that role or is Absolutely. it is it oh go ahead please yeah sorry sorry to interrupt you yeah so you know we, um as i said it took me 7 years and you know we've had so many laws in place it's illegal to find out the gender of your child because you know what happens is families find out it's a girl and then they abort the baby or it's illegal dowry is illegal dowry deaths are a crime rape is you know there's so many laws against it yet mm-hmm. after the delhi rape you know there have been a whole series of rapes happening and i mean now as young as two so what i i believe is you know yes we can have laws we can have protest marches we can have the media covering all this but as as you mentioned you know it's really how can families change the way we you know we get our children to think differently and i you know i really believe you know one is we need we need to introduce gender studies in you know schools maybe as early as you know a middle school or, may, you know, or maybe starting with elementary 
uh, schools are just, you know, simple stories where, you know, you see girls as role models or you see girls and boys working, you know, side by side at, in the house. For instance, you know, very often in homes and fam- uh, in, in families in India, the girl and boy will both go to school, come home, do their homework, but then the boy can go out and play, whereas the girl has to stay home and help her mom cook. And, you know, so changing the whole mentality through, you know, simple stories where, you know, the boy is also helping his mom. Maybe you can bring in stories with the dad involved as well in, you know, running the house. Maybe the mom's working, you know, can change that attitude. And then, you know, as you go into middle and high school, you know, focusing more on how, you know, boys view girls, how can we change that attitude. And, also, you know, there have, there have been some organizations in India that are using sports to, you know, teach boys and men to, uh, you know, uh, see women differently. I'm, I haven't researched too much, but I just know that they have started these, uh, you know, sports camps and focusing on gender equality. And not just the boys, we also need to, you know, empower girls from a young age. They need to learn that they're equal to their brothers or the boys in their school or the community. Because when the girl, you know, if she knows from a young age, you know, she starts feeling she's inferior, when she grows up and has her own kids, she's going to see her uh, sons as superior to her daughters and then her daughter, you know, kind of repeat this cycle of gender discrimination. And then when she becomes a mother-in-law, you know, um, assists her, her son and husband in, you know, meting out all kinds of uh, harassment against uh, her daughter-in-law. So I really think we need to, we need to, you know, work at the school level and also parents in the, in the houses and, you know, need to treat, learn to treat their kids equally and talk about this because it, uh, otherwise I don't see much change happening because, it, you know, we've had, we have had so many laws, we've had so many discussions and it seems to be just getting worse. Absolutely. Nina, this is a, a, a where we have to take a break in which I, I hate taking breaks. I mean, the conversation is so good, <laughs> but you'll stay with Thank us, you. right? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. All right. Don't go away. Nina Caputi will continue this discussion when we come back. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. 
health care reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us, and we're celebrating and kicking off the Third Eye Film Festival, which is the South Asian Film Festival. So our guest today is the director and producer of Petals in the Dust, a powerful documentary examining the conditions of women who are becoming endangered. Yes, endangered due to the violence that they face in modern India. Nina, I I wanted to bring this up. I mean, you know, here... um, in the United States, especially in the Silicon Valley, I mean, we're seeing a, an increase in terms of um, Indian Americans uh, and also, you know, employee workers. You know, the tech industry is very friendly in employing a lot of, um, you know, South a- Asian Indians uh, into this. And so what are your thoughts about kind of culturally if there is a separation of um maybe a, a, a maybe an advancement of of how indian americans south asian indians here in the united states perceive what's happening in india and if there's anything being done to um to also contribute to the you know to 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 help with the problem the issues that uh, india is facing sure so uh Yes, you know, I did receive a lot of support from the Indian American community uh, in the Bay Area, you know, when I started the film, because a lot of people are concerned about what's happening there. As I said, there was so little, you know, in the in the past, there was very little in the media about how bad the situation was. So unless you were in that situation or you had a family member, you, were, you didn't really know. So, yes, but there's, you know, I've also worked with a few nonprofits uh, in, in the Bay Area. One of them is Maitri, that works with survivors of trafficking and domestic violence in the South Asian community. community. Uh, uh, the president of my is featured in my film. And, you know, there are a lot of cases of domestic violence uh, happening here in, in the Bay Area, which, you know, is shocking because, you know, you assume that when people move to a new country and, you know, most of these the women and men are highly educated, doing fabulously well in, in, Silic- in the Silicon Valley. You wouldn't expect this kind of you know, this kind of attitude. So, you know, I'd also interviewed uh, the Indian community in Canada because, you know, it has such a large uh, 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 group of people from India and, you know, it seems to be the same there. And there's also talk about, their, their, you know, the whole uh, patriarchal mindset is brought brought to this country as well. There are certain people who still believe that, you know, men are superior to women and the women should just work in the kitchen and when they get married, you know, 
the man, you know, one woman in Canada who I interviewed in Canada, she's uh, she spoke about how when she married her Indian Canadian husband, uh, you know, the the night on the at the on the wedding night he he, he raped her, and you know the next morning when she told her mother-in-law about it, she said, you know, your husband is your god, and you know whatever he does is fine. You just have to go along with that, and you know no one came to her rescue. She. She, you know, she went to the she went to the temple leader. She was sick, sick, and uh, you know, Punjabi sick. And she said, you know, they all said, you know, you have to, uh, you you are a Punjabi woman, and whatever ha- happens in your family stays in your family. Again, there, you know, this is just one incident. There are a lot of, as I said, there's a lot of support for women who are who are survivors of domestic violence, but there's also there is this attitude that we're bringing with us from India. So it's it's not it doesn't seem to change when you come come here, you know. It's uh as one activist said, some Indians in Canada are frozen in time. You know, they still they see women as inferior and also, you know, people still many families still want to have sons uh here living in the US. Uh talk a bit if you would about the the political situation in India as regard regarding women's rights and, and if, if they are doing anything at all to address this problem. You mentioned a bit earlier that, you know, there have been a number of laws, but they, you know, things, if anything, seem to be getting worse there. Is there any movement? I mean, I know the government, the federal government right now, there is, is quite a conservative uh, Hindu nationalist party, but what is there, have they addressed this in any way, whether legally or in public statements, or uh, you're just trying to get a social movement going? Uh, they, they seem to be, but I would say it's not, you know, it you know it's not uh, it's not like we would like it to be. I mean, there have been you know individual cases. Every time there's a rape, they you know they come out and protest and say we have to change. But it's the it has to be as I said. It really they have to introduce something in the schools. They have to focus on the next generation. It you know just they, it's kind of right now it's uh, reactive. Something happens and so they make they make a stricter law. But you know there's one of the women. In my film, she uh, so you know in India it's illegal to find out the gender of your baby, and there's this one woman who had was pregnant with twin girls, and you know her when she was really sick, her husband did um, an illegal sex determination test and found out she was going to have daughters, and this was a wealthy, educated family. He's a doctor, she's a doctor, and you know he kept pressuring her to abort her girls. She didn't, and he threw her out of the house. She went and lived with her parents, and she took her husband and the hospital to court because, you know, they conducted this illegal sex determination test. And it took, you know, two weeks ago, the case was dismissed, and, you know, the husband and the hospital authorities have gone scot-free. She has been advocating for this for 10 years, spent her whole life devoted to this, thanks to her parents' support. And, that, you know, you think this is, it's a very high-profile case. She's written to the prime, you know, the prime minister. She's done all kinds of petitions, and... Every time she gets a new lawyer, the lawyer gets paid off by, you know, the husband. She even had one judge tell her, you know, all your husband wants is a son, so why don't you just go back to him and give him that son? So, you know, the new government has come, and she is in Delhi in the capital. She's one of the only women who's come forward to, you know, protest what happened to her and taken her husband to court, and nothing, there's nothing that has been done about it. I mean, she is devastated that her her case was uh, was dismissed, and in fact, they're trying to give her husband custody of the daughters now. Oh, good Lord. Um, Yeah. So... So let's kind of bring this back around to the film "Petals in the in the Wind." Or excuse me, "Petals in the Dust." Um, what what 
who, who do you see as the audience of this and what do you hope they will get from it? I mean, it's kind of a basic question, but really you're, you are trying to get them to change their minds or to change other people's minds, right? Right. So I've actually already started screening the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but the third eye is my first South Asian, the first uh, South Asian film festival I've gotten to. So I have two audiences. As I said, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, gender violence is universal, right? So my one, since I live in the U.S., and I've had a lot of uh, non-Indians in the U.S. support my film. One goal is to, you know, get every, you know, um, um, high school, college, and and adults watch this film. And I've already been doing this. Yesterday, I had a private screening at International House. Uh, uh, students from UC Berkeley, and the conversation was about how do we, how does gender violence and gender discrimination affect our own community or our schools and what can we do within our own community and we've been having great conversations. So the American and non-Indian audience is one of my target audiences and the other, you know, is of course the Indian Americans, uh, you know, the Indians in the U.S. and, you know, garnering more support for the activists and non-profits in India and in the Indian diaspora because I think right now a lot, a lot of Indian nonprofits are doing amazing work, but struggling with funds and you know finding volunteers and support. It's it's a it's a huge battle. So that's been my other goal, you know, getting um, the Indian community here to support these organizations. I would like to take the film to India, but I'm I'm trying to be more strategic because uh, you know uh, India's daughter got banned uh, a few months ago, and right now I think India is uh, very sensitive about any film that I feel portrays them in a negative light. Mm-hmm. So, I've yeah, I've been talking mm-hmm. to ITVS because ITVS has a really cool program uh, where they are screening films like mine to, uh, to audiences in India, mostly comprising of men, and then having discussions around how, you know, they, we can change the situation. So that's, that's the route I would like to take to bring my film to India because right now I would say my target audience is Indian men um, and, you know, high school and college students. The older generation, you know, is it's, I, I've, I'm not that I've given up on them, but I don't see them doing much. Mm-hmm. Nina, we are unfortunately out of time, and gosh, I wish we had more time to spend with you. It is such an important topic, but thank you so much for making this film and for discussing this. Uh, again, it's, it's an... It, it's gendercide. It's an epidemic. It's 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 dangerous. It's we need to do something now. I want to mention that uh, the film will be viewing uh, November first, two forty five, in Palo Alto. So if you want to check it out, uh, make sure you go to. Uh, you can check it out at the uh, Third Eye Film. Uh, I'm trying to speak as fast as I can. ThirdEye.org. Uh, Nina, thanks again for being with us. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, John. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Um, okay, we have less than 60 seconds. We usually like to wrap up our thoughts here. Um, I will just have to say that if you go to petalsinthedust.com, right there in the front, it says 50 million girls have been eliminated. And Nina at one point had stated by 2020, it, you know, it, India will be 20% more male than female. Um, so, I, I mean, go see the film, speak to Nina, but there's got to be, a, a, you know, you've, we've got to do something. Yeah, it's great that she made this film because there's a lot of just just in the the preview of it, you'll learn stuff that will shock you. Thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm so happy again to be back in studio. And of course, with my good friend John Zipper of Commonwealth Club for all of our podcasts and shows, you can head to CommonwealthClub.org. Search meow. Uh, and for everything else, you can head to MichelleMeow.com. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Thank you. 
Thank you.